You're listening to Mysteries Still Unsolved, a podcast where we discuss unsolved mysteries both past and present. I'm your host, Rochelle. Today we will discuss where is Jalik Rainwalker? Hello, and welcome back to Mystery Still Unsolved. I am so excited to be back in my daughter's little walk-in closet <laughs> talking true crime with all of you today. Uh, if you're new around here, uh, first off, welcome. And you're probably wondering what the heck I'm talking about. My podcast setup is in my daughter's walk-in closet because I have tested every inch of my home and it has the best acoustics, probably because she has a lot of stuff in here. <laughs> so there's a little desk and a mic and a chair for me in here. And my daughter is nice enough to loan me her closet for about an hour each week without complaint. Uh, it probably also helps that she's only seven. So I kind of have to, I get to boss her around. Um, so this podcast would not be possible without her willingness to let me kind of invade her space. So shout out to Riley. You're the best. <laughs> Today's case is incredibly interesting, and to my knowledge, it isn't very well known. I would say it's probably not as well known as some of the other cases that we've discussed. Um, I'm excited to give it some much-needed attention today. Uh, Jalik definitely needs us to show up for him, and I am so happy to have a platform where I can tell you a little bit about him and about his life and his story. Before we get started today, though, I do need to do a little bit of housekeeping. Um, if you're new around here, again, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, welcome back. Um, if you aren't already following me on my Instagram at Mysteries Still Unsolved, stop in the name of love before you break my heart. Stop what you are doing this minute and hit that follow button. It is on my Instagram that you will see photos, videos of the cases that we cover. Um, you will be the first to know about new episodes. I'll give like background context to the episodes every week. Um, any giveaways that we host and merch that will be coming up, you will find out about it first there. Uh, you can share your thoughts, theories, and opinions with other members of the Mystery Still Unsolved community. It is so cool to be able to just like bounce ideas off of one another and get insights from each other. Uh, you can also DM me a suggestion for an upcoming episode. I love to cater to your interests when it comes to the cases that I do cover. So if you have one on your mind, please do not hesitate to send it over um, here. I love it. We also have a website. It's www.mysterystillunsolved.com. There, you can binge my now 74 episodes. I am so excited because we just keep climbing up that ladder to the 100th episode. I know I've mentioned it a ton, but more than 90% of podcasts never make it to their 100th episode. So this is a milestone that I am very excited to hit. If you could, s'il vous plaît, leave me a review wherever it is that you enjoy listening to your podcast. I would be forever grateful. This will help other true crime geeks like us find my podcast when they're searching for a new one to binge. So yeah, I think that's all the housework I have for today. So without further delay, 
I really just kind of want to jump into today's episode. Um, Jalik Rainwalker was born on August 2nd, 1995 to a single mother who was addicted to cocaine. Since his mother was addicted at the time of his birth, Jalik was simultaneously addicted as well and had to be in the hospital for quite some time as they slowly weaned him off of the drugs. Due to this unique situation, CPS was involved and they decided that placement with Jalik's um, biological mom would be dangerous for him. So Jalik was placed into several different foster homes and respite care before he was eventually legally adopted by the McDonald Kerr family at the age of 12 in 2004. Jocelyn McDonald and Stephen Kerr um, had been married for quite some time. They actually already had three biological children of their own, and they had also recently adopted a daughter. Due to Jalik's troubling past and inconsistent upbringing, um, he struggled and presented with a lot of difficulties. Jalik was incredibly intelligent, but he was also prone to violent temper tantrums. The McDonald Kerr home didn't see this as a significant issue because they had actually been deemed a therapeutic home by social services. So Jocelyn McDonald and Stephen Kerr lived in Washington County, New York, in a little town called Greenwich, not to be confused with Greenwich Village in New York City. Nope, no, 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 no. This was out in the country of upstate New York. Um, On a map, it is a little bit north of Albany, but south of the Adirondack Mountains. So yeah, very, very rural in comparison to (laughs) Greenwich Village in New York City. Okay. Uh, The McDonald Kerr home situation, um, it seems a little bit interesting. It's a little, a little odd to me, but you let me know if you're having similar thoughts as I share this information with you. Uh, The home where the family lived had no running water. There wasn't a bathroom inside of the home. Instead, they used an outhouse. Uh, There was also no electrical stuff set up in the home. So they actually only had electricity for a few hours a day, and they got this from a generator that was within the home. Uh, The family all slept in one room, and all the children were homeschooled. The family claimed that they preferred this way of life as it was more environmentally friendly. Basically, better for the environment, for them to live as minimally as possible. Okay. I don't know about you, (laughs) but I've heard of children being taken away by social services from the homes of people who have things such as no running water or electricity. So um, I'm just wondering if it's a pre-made choice then it's a-okay, but if you miss your water or your electrical bill, they come and take your kids away. It just kind of seems like a gray area to me. Almost a double standard. I'm I'm honestly just surprised that CPS would place not one but two adopted children with this family, but I don't know. Maybe I'm being too critical of this family. (laughs) You know, It's definitely possible that I'm judging this family very harshly because it seems a lot like camping and I do hate camping. And the reason I hate camping is because my first experience with camping was in upstate New York. And I got to tell you, it was just awful, just horrible because it's humid, it's muggy, it's sticky. Your hair just like sticks to the sweat 
on your face. <laughs> there are mosquitoes and ticks everywhere. Bugs are rampant and they are huge because of the humidity. Um, I was just watching The Parent Trap with my daughter. We're talking about my daughter a lot today, but she's just been on my mind lately. So I was watching The Parent Trap, the one with Lindsay Lohan, not the one from the 60s, the more recent one. And there's a scene in the movie where Meredith, who is the evil soon-to-be stepmom, says, get it away from me. I hate things that crawl. And I was like, same girl, same. (laughs) Anyway, that took a real turn. Uh, There are definitely reasons to judge Jocelyn and Steven because, uh, spoiler alert, I do think it's likely that they're the quote unquote villains of the story, but it's not only about the weird way that they lived. I definitely will add that to the list though of the bad decisions that they made. Um, but it's not the only one. Moving on. When Jocelyn and Steven agreed to adopt Jalik, they were aware of his past and that he had been diagnosed with something called reactive attachment disorder. Basically, this means that Jalik was unable to develop any sort of strong attachments or relationships to anyone. Uh, This usually stems from extreme neglect as a child. Uh, You can suffer from this if, as a child, you suffered from a lack of some of life's most basic needs, like think food, water, a safe environment, affection, attention, etc. Children who are affected by this disorder find it very hard to live in our world. They aren't really able to make connections or bonds with anyone around them. Some are not even able to smile or engage in eye contact. Um, They're not going to ask you for help. And even if you do help them, they normally just like don't know how to respond. They can be like just kind of catatonically looking at you. Um, And this most likely explains Jalik's short fuse. Um, He was only 12, so he's probably frustrated with his inability to understand social cues and his inability to get close to people. This was most likely expressed by his rage-filled temper tantrums. Shortly after Jalik's um, adoption was finalized, he became problematic to the family. The family was instructed to take him to a therapist as his disorder was not something that could be ignored. It would most likely require therapy and medication for the remainder of his life. However, the parents didn't listen to that advice, and it didn't take long for Jocelyn and Jalik's four adopted siblings to be afraid of him. Stephen, so this is Jalik's adoptive father, claimed that Jalik had threatened to rape a young child who attended the homeschool that the children attended. So I'm kind of thinking that they probably had some sort of like joy school, homeschool thing going on. So... That way, one parent didn't have to teach all five days. They would kind of like rotate. That's kind of what I'm thinking. They didn't say that, but it doesn't seem like it was a child in their home. It was a child that was also homeschooling at the homeschool. So anyways, so this is very upsetting because when you take responsibility of a child that you know has emotional problems, you are signing up for taking him to his much needed treatments, especially since this is not something that's just going to go away if you ignore it. You can't just like sweep this under the rug. So after just three months of officially having Jalik a member of their family, the couple called a crisis hotline and told them, quote, Jalik was unmanageable, end quote. Jocelyn reported that she was afraid of him and that she feared for the safety of the other four children in the home. 
Jocelyn was pretty set on getting Jalique out of the home and asked the crisis line about possibly reversing his adoption. The crisis worker informed the couple that this was no longer an option as the adoption was final and legally binding. This disappointed Jocelyn and Stephen, but the crisis counselor did share an option with them. They could place Jolique in respite care. Um, If you're not familiar with the term, respite care provides short-term relief for primary caregivers. It can be arranged for just an afternoon or for several days or weeks. Jocelyn and Stephen agreed, and Jolique was sent to Elaine and Tom Person. The couple had actually provided respite care for Jalik in the past when he was in foster homes. Um, So Jalik was pretty familiar with them and familiar with their home and their rules. So it was a good familial space for Jalik. Jalik stayed with the persons until November 1st, 2007, when he returned to the McDonald and Kerr home. However, he never actually got inside the home because, like I mentioned before, Jocelyn was very much concerned about the safety and well-being of herself and her other four children, and so she refused to permit Jalik inside. This meant that Jalik was put back into Stephen Kerr's custody, and he took Jalik to his parents' home so his wife and children would feel more comfortable. The plan was that Jalik and Stephen would stay at Stephen's parents' house. Oh, and also it's important to note that Stephen's parents were out of the country at this time. Um, so they were going to stay there for one night. Uh, the night Stephen got custody again of Jalik was the day after Halloween. So Stephen claims that he took him to do like a little bit of trick-or-treating because I guess that there were some neighbors in the area that were still, they still had extra candy. So they were letting people trick-or-treat there. And then the two went to Red Robin to eat. And this was actually confirmed by the waitress who waited on them. On the way home, Stephen says that he talked to Jalik and told him that it was going to be necessary for Jalik to apologize to his family for his behavior and also that he would need to apologize to the family of the child he threatened to rape at homeschool. Stephen said that while Jalik had been incredibly talkative and happy before, when after they had this conversation, he withdrew after this conversation, um, refusing to speak for the rest of the night. Um, Steven says that when they got to his parents' home, um, Jalik didn't even say goodnight. He just went to his room and fell asleep. The next morning, Jalik would be sent to a different home that was going to provide him with respite care. So they're only able to stay with certain individuals for a certain amount of time, and then they've got to either go home or go to a different respite care. Unfortunately, Jalik would never make it to this second respite care home. Sometime during the night of November 1st leading into November 2nd, something happened. Stephen claims that when he woke up at 7.30 on the morning of November 2nd, Jalik was gone. He said that Jalik had left a note that read, quote, Dear everybody, I'm sorry for everything. I won't bother you all anymore. I'm sorry. Goodbye. End quote. Upon this discovery, Stephen Kerr decided that instead of calling the police right away, that he would search the home himself. After he did that, he decided not to call the police, but to instead take a shower and drive into town. Uh, He returned a couple of DVDs to Blockbuster, which is a really old store if you're like a Gen X or Gen Z, whatever, whoever is the young people right now. I don't even know. Um, So only then 
did Stephen find it appropriate to call the police after he had done all those chores? <laughs> um, essentially, knowing about Jalik's disappearance for about 90 minutes before he called the authorities to report that his son was missing. And this just boggles my mind because if my daughter is missing for 90 seconds, I am like going from zero to 100. Zero to 100. There's no stopping me. At first, Steve claimed that Jalik's duffel bag and favorite toy were missing. However, these items were later found by police in Stephen's father's garage. Jalik did not have any money or credit cards on him at the time of his disappearance. There was an extensive search of the area and nothing of significance was found. Very quickly, the police hypothesized that there was definitely some foul play involved here. They were just having a really difficult time as probably all of us are, believing that a 12-year-old boy with no money and no resources would have the ability to get very far on his own without someone kind of ensuring that to be the case. Um, Jalik was then classified as, quote, endangered missing, end quote. Although the possibility that Jalik either ran away or committed suicide was not completely off the table either because um, apparently Jalik had expressed suicidal tendencies in the past, which just boggles my mind even more. So you have this son and he has suicidal tendencies and he's missing. And instead of like calling the police right away, you take a shower and return some DVDs. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. Suspicion immediately fell on Jalik's adoptive parents. (laughs) Obviously, Uh, Jocelyn McDonald, Jalik's adoptive mother, took a polygraph test, which showed that she was not being deceptive with any of her answers to the investigator's questions. Stephen, on the other hand, just flat out refused to take a polygraph test. He claimed to have a medical condition which would make his answers unreliable. He was also unwilling to provide police with any sort of DNA sample. The McDonald Kerr couple were very adamant that while Jalik was biracial, he very much identified himself as being black. They said that he had mentioned several times wanting to move in with his African American family members who lived in Albany so that he could be with people more like himself. However, this theory was quickly debunked by police and instead quickly made Stephen Kerr, Jalik's adoptive father, an official person of interest in this case. Police suspected that Jalik was buried either on the McDonald Kerr property or Stephen Parent's property, so a thorough investigation of both areas was conducted. Additionally, police, FBI, and forest rangers combed the woods and bodies of water around the two properties. They even searched the campsites that the family used to frequent top to bottom in search of any possible clues. However, not a single trace was found. Jalik never really knew or spent much time with his biological family, but his biological family very much remembers him and they miss him dearly. Many respite workers who worked with him throughout his experience through foster care um, and all of his foster care parents who cared for him seemed committed to finding out what happened to Jalik. Um, In fact, it seems like almost everybody and their dog was committed to finding out what happened to Jalik, except... Except his adoptive parents, Jocelyn and Stephen. There are rumors that the note that I read to you earlier left behind by Jalik was none other than a school project that he had turned in like several months before. So while it was written in Jalik's handwriting, it was not written in the context of his disappearance. Barbara, who is Jocelyn's mother, 
believes that her son-in-law knows more than he's sharing with police. And she now has a extremely strained, if not non-existent relationship with her daughter because she has been so vocal about how suspicious Stephen is being. Uh, she 100% believes that her son-in-law has done something to Jalik and has caused his disappearance. In fact, going so far as to say that she believes without a shadow of a doubt that her son-in-law, Stephen, killed Jalik. Barbara says that after Jalik's disappearance, Stephen began acting really, really weird, and that there have been instances in the last few years that have led her to believe that Stephen is absolutely capable of harming a child. Uh, some of these instances that she goes into, um, apparently Barbara witnessed uh ways that Jalik would be punished if he did something wrong, if he was acting up. Um, apparently, Stephen would take Jalik to the river outside of their home and like repeatedly dunk his head into the water until he would apologize. Um, Barbara also heard from her grandkids that Stephen would take away his outhouse privileges and like all sorts of like barbaric and horrific things. Um, apparently this made Jocelyn, so this made Stephen's wife very, very angry, um, when her kids told her about it. Um, so she told her husband that the only way that she would forgive him is if he did all of Jalik's chores for a month and then wrote an apology to Jalik and read the apology in front of the entire family. Um, one could only imagine how angry this might make Stephen if he's as unhinged as I believe that he is. Um, I mean, he's a grown man, technically, not actually, because <laughs> he doesn't act like a grown man, but technically he's a grown man, um, and he's being punished by his wife. That's probably got to feel really emasculating, especially since it appears to me that he's really, really into toxic masculinity. Uh, so no doubt he wanted to possibly get back at whoever he deemed responsible for this humiliation. Um, and some people believe that this might have been Stephen's motive in getting rid of Jalik. Okay, so not only that, not only that, apparently Barbara, Barbara's Jocelyn's mom, so she's like the adoptive grandmother of Jalik. Yeah, Barbara is crazy, but like in a super cool way. Barbara, Barbara, Barbara. She broke into her daughter's home and found this yellow sweatshirt that belonged to Jalik in his room. And this is the same yellow sweatshirt that Stephen had claimed that Jalik was wearing at the time of his disappearance. Everyone was on the lookout for a little boy or the remains of a little boy possibly wearing this very yellow sweatshirt. Needless to say, Barbara was arrested for burglary, <laughs> but the information that she was able to provide the police with gave them everything that they needed to get another search warrant to once again search the McDonald Kerr properties, and they were able to find the yellow sweatshirt. Hmm. Hmm. Barbara and Jocelyn no longer speak. Um, there's actually a restraining order that Jocelyn um, put on her mother, so... She has to have some pretty strong convictions about all of this. And if you don't believe in Barbara's kick-ass instincts, don't worry, there's more. Apparently, police say that Stephen has repeatedly changed his story about where he was the night of November 1st leading into November 2nd. At first, Stephen claimed he slept through the entire night. You know, he's just tired. He was just asleep the whole time. But police found a surveillance photograph that clearly shows Stephen's van at a time when Stephen claims that he was not awake. 
Kerr denied their request to search this vehicle. Investigators also looked into Stephen's phone history, and apparently there was a very interesting ping from his phone that was very, very, very far away from Stephen's dad's house at the time that he again claims that he was sleeping. But perhaps the most damning contradictory evidence is that Stephen Kerr was reportedly seen by multiple people within the community ripping down missing posters that the community had put up in the effort to locate Jalik. Kerr denies that this ever happened, but he does admit to asking store owners to take the missing posters down. And I find this very interesting because if you are a loving parent or even just care about humanity in any way, shape, or form, wouldn't you want the missing posters up to hopefully generate leads? I think only someone with something to hide would be so angry about these missing posters. In January 2008, there was a surprising break in the case. A letter was sent to the media and to the McDonald Kerr family, and this later claimed to be from someone who currently knew or had Jalik. And the letter reads, quote, Jalik is alive, needed a foot soldier for this war on drugs, picked him up on Route 40 post 30. He's okay. No fake. He says, ask his mama and papa, who are the macaroni family? My cat named Diamond. Why does Franti yell fire? Don't try to look. We are not there. End quote. The letter did not have a return address. However, it had been postmarked Washington County, which is the county that the Greenwich town resides in. Um, however, as you've probably already guessed, police immediately saw past this letter and believed that it was nothing but a ruse orchestrated by none other than Jalik's adoptive father, Stephen Kerr. For whatever reason, whether it be that they're involved or for reasons unknown, Jocelyn McDonald and Stephen Kerr have little interest in the search campaign for their son, Jalik. They have... They don't cooperate or try to help out in any way. In 2012, the skeletal remains of a young boy was found near Greenwich. Citizens of the community held their breath as they waited for the medical examiner to release his findings. However, it was determined that the bones did not belong to Jalik. In 2013, Jalik's case was reinvestigated by cold case detectives, and his case has been reclassified from a missing persons case to a homicide case. When Jalik disappeared, he was an exuberant preteen. He was around 5'6 and 105 pounds. He had light brown hair and green eyes. One characterizing feature would be that he had a slight speech impediment. Um, he would pronounce R's as W's when he spoke. Jalik would be almost 27 years old today. While I, of course, hope that Jalik Rainwalker is alive and well out there somewhere, um, with each passing year, this grows more and more unlikely. In my heart of hearts, this is me stepping on my Rochelle corner because this is just me sharing my theory. Um, I believe that Stephen Kerr absolutely has something to do with Jalik's disappearance and that police and investigators just don't have enough physical evidence to prove that he has something to do with Jalik's disappearance. I hope one day they do find physical evidence. Um, if it was a complete stranger up to no good, um, that's a good get. Like, I guess that's good for Stephen Kerr and proving his innocence. But if it does come back as Stephen, uh, I absolutely would not be surprised or shocked 
in the least. I think that after Jocelyn and Steven discovered that there was just no way to return Jalik, there was no way to reverse the adoption, one or both of them plotted a way to rid themselves of Jalik once and for all. I watched an interview that gave me a better look into Barbara, um, who is, again, Jocelyn's mother, the adoptive grandmother of Jalik. Um, so I watched an interview where it just kind of gave us a little bit more of her insights regarding Jalik's case. Okay, so Barbara said, quote, This is your child. He is missing. Wouldn't you be doing everything in your power to know where he is? They aren't doing that. And I believe it's because they already know where he is, end quote. Dang, Barbara. Okay, okay. I feel you. I mean, I 100% agree. Barbara and her husband, Dennis, are so dedicated to finding out what happened to their adopted grandson. And I feel the need to reiterate that Jalik was only part of their family for maybe a little over a year. And I just love how dedicated Barbara is to this little boy in the way that, I don't know, maybe like his adoptive parents should be. Um, as I was saying, I'm like getting so fumed right now. Uh, Barbara and Dennis are so dedicated to Jalik as his adoptive grandparents that they actually moved into a home that is very, very near the cell phone tower of where Stephen's cell phone pinged that fateful night. Every morning, Barbara and her husband Dennis get up and ask permission to search the abandoned warehouses around the area. The area is right down the street from the Hudson River, and police confirmed that this spot is actually a well-known dumping ground for bodies. Jalik was an emotionally disturbed child, but he was trying. Even with all of his problems, he had many, many people who loved and cared about him. In the time between Jalik's disappearance and now, the McDonald Kerr couple, um, they have moved from Greenwich, New York, to Vermont, probably in an attempt to evade rumors about their involvement. Um, they have never agreed to speak publicly to the media or privately with the police department. They have never once called the police department to inquire about the status of their son's case. They don't seem interested at all. And this all just adds fuel to the fire that they don't feel compelled to know how it's going because it's possible they already know what happened. And it's very, very suspicious. Um, if anyone has any information about the disappearance of Jolly Greenwalker, you are encouraged to contact the Greenwich Police Department at 518-692-9332. Where is Jolly Greenwalker? What do you think? Do you think the investigators and Barbara are on the right track? Do you believe Stephen Kerr is responsible? If so, do you think he did it on his own or was this a situation where Jocelyn and Steven were in cahoots and are covering for each other? Do you think Jalik ran away? Do you think he met someone on his way to Albany to live with his family members who harmed him? Do you think Jalik is alive? Let me know on the post I made for today's episode. I am very curious what you all are making of today's case. This is an extremely unfortunate and heartbreaking case. It is a perfect example of a young man who had the foster care system fail him. Um, it's a perfect example of a young man who wasn't given the resources that he needed. And instead of thriving, this young man was probably taken from this world much too soon. This case literally makes me feel sick to my stomach. Um, I don't care how bad or how unmanageable people claim Jalik was. Um, no one deserves this to happen to them. And I am so hopeful that the answers will come to the surface one day and that justice will be served for Jalik 
Rainwalker. Thank you all for being here today. I very much appreciate your continued support week after week after week after week. Do you want to know how you can further support this podcast? Of course you do. <laughs> Follow me on Instagram at mysteriesstillunsolved. Go to my website, www.mysteriesstillunsolved.com. Leave me a review on whichever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Tell a true crime-loving friend or family member about me. But the best way to support this podcast would be to join me next week when together we'll discover, did someone ever place a useful tip? Has justice prevailed? Or is the mystery still unsolved? <laughs>